Welcome, everyone, to episode 23 of Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimley. Good oh, afternoon, yeah. Matthew. How are you all? Oh, I can't believe it's just done oil. That's something I've, I've, I don't do. I have no idea why I've just done that. Mate, you can't take the boy out of Medway, can you? I'm trying to get away from him as much as I can now. I'm in Actually, third. you can't take Medway out of the boy. Sorry about that. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Re- Revert back to old slang. Like that. I think, old oh, slang. No. Is well, that... actually, were you a uh, All Saints baby? Yeah, I was All Saints baby. Ah, yeah. 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 Ain't there anymore, is it? It's gone. It's all houses now, isn't it? And yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? How, you know, Medway's changed so much, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's it, like I say, it's like proper populated now, isn't it, as well, Medway? It's like Absolutely. So, 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 so busy. I don't yeah. know where we're going with this. I'm, I'm, no, I'm... it's completely <laughs> off topic. It's like completely off topic. Welcome to Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy. Two PTs talking about life inside and outside of the fitness industry. Today we're discussing plateaus 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 a very lovely word isn't it matthew plateau yes um only because there's there's, there's plateaus in many shapes or forms um many and shapes or forms many shapes or forms it's not a plateau isn't like a, a rectangle or anything it's, it's, it's something where basically you get to a point whether you're dieting whether you're training when you don't see any progress and mike would you like i i always rely on you mike to do the proper research and do get these official Oxford Dictionary quotes from you. So I'm expecting one now. I just write like a few notes. <laughs> and so I expect you to know the definition of a plateau now for me. Well, <laughs> it's funny you say that. <laughs> <laughs> a plateau is a state of little or no change following a period of activity or progress. Oh, I knew I could rely on you. I knew I could rely on you. You had a, well, at least that's why you had a better education than me as well, because you've done stuff like that. And I'll, I don't I'll know about that, mate. I don't know about that. I'll just literally wing it, Mike. But um, Not at all. I think it's a really good subject as well, Mike, because I've had clients in the past um, more more to do with probably weight loss, um, and they almost haven't seen results, and they're still doing the same thing as they originally did, and they're not sort of seeing any change. Have you ever ex- experienced this with sort of working with clients in the past? All the time, Matt all the time with people who are experienced in exercise or, or even people who are brand new to exercise. It's, um, and, and plus we personally experienced ourselves many times, haven't we? Mm, most definitely. The uh, thing is plateau is, is just a part of training. I think when you first start exercising or you first start dieting, um, that, I think people label, label it up as like newbie gains because you see the most drastic change like in like the first one to 12 weeks. And from there, it's, it's quite slow, isn't it? It is. And let's, let me ask you a question, Matt. I mean, from obviously the vast experience of PT and especially working with specifically fat loss clients, what would you say the most common reasons that you have found that people run into dieting plateaus or, mm-hmm. sorry, fat loss plateaus? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest plateau 
I found with clients, maybe who are carrying a few extra stone in weight, um, they start off, you know, like generally just moving a little bit more, i.e. walking to the shops or walking to work or whatever. And generally this has a has a very good desired effect because it's that they didn't do it before. So they've just chucked in sort of half an hour of walking every day. And if they're carrying an extra few stone, their body has to work really hard to get them to their destination, as it were. So they almost see instant results from when they start doing something. Now, over a period of time, as they gradually lose weight, they weigh less, which means there's less demand on that same half an hour walk. And I think that's when a lot of people do run into that point when it comes to a weightless goal of not seeing the changes, but they're still doing the same thing. You get what I mean? Yeah. So when that happens, what's the next sort of step for that individual? How, or how would you sort of go about changing things to suit them, really? Or does that depend on the individual? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the individual, but there is almost like a bit of a blanket answer as well. Um, because I think we, we have to remind ourselves, we are, as humans, just very adaptive to what stimulus we put it under as. So when we pick up a new habit, like walking for 30 minutes a day, it may be challenging at first. We're going to see benefits regarding body fat, physical fitness. But then after a while, your body's going to adapt to that amount of stimulus. Your body's going to get used to you walking that half an hour. So in order for us to progress, we either have to make that half an hour 45 minutes. So we're adding in more volume. Or we make that half an hour more intense, i.e. going for a run, going for a jog, whatever it may be. Um, and that is how I would always approach it with individuals when it comes to losing body fat. And the good thing, what you've done already, you've not even mentioned the, the dreaded D word or you know certain things. So you're concentrating on things that can benefit their health first. You know, yeah. Even if they're not seeing the results they want, they're still seeing some positive results in their, their health, aren't they? Yeah. And if I'm working with clients, I'll always try and control the variables such as daily movement, you need, so you walk in, anything that's not exercise related, and exercise before you even start to consider to even drop calorie intake down. Because generally, that's what a lot of people go to first when they diet, they reduce their calories severely, and they're in a place where they're almost too tired, too fatigued to actually go out and do things like walk and exercise. So if from that approach, I would always try and see what I could control with a client from the means of daily movement and exercise. And like you mentioned about controlling the calories, about sort of like a difference between a, a hypercalorific and a hypo. Sounds a little bit like a rave, doesn't it? <laughs> How much are they? Is it four for a tenner? Is it some sort of drug? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a high par. Imagine high par being high. means you're consuming... Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> A hypochloric energy intake would necessarily mean you're consuming well beyond the amount of calories you're expending every day. And then obviously you do that over a prolonged period of time, you gain weight. And a hypochloric intake um, means you're severely cutting your calories down. Now, the only problem is when you slash your calories down to say like 1200, okay, it is going to work. First of all, it's going to help you lose weight. But on the flip side, it comes with a lot of negative aspects to it as well. Stuff like you have less energy to walk, exercise. You feel a lot more hungry and your body's almost pushing you towards eating more. And your body's not fucking stupid. Your body will want you to eat more, 
because it thinks, what the hell are you doing to me? You was eating 4,000 calories a day. Now you give me a thousand. What's going on? So you've got to play the card really carefully when it comes to fat loss of not reducing calories down too much to begin with. If someone is at their upper limits with how much they can move daily, because I have a newfound respect for people who work at home behind a laptop all the time. It's really hard to get in like some steps. Like, I've, I've got to admit, like, I used to hammer on my clients probably about two years ago about getting more steps. Like, come on, just get more steps in. What's wrong with you? Get more steps in. But now I'm behind a desk the majority of the time. I realize actually mm. how hard that is. Yeah, um, it is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, admittedly, my average steps has got dropped to about, you know, 6,000 a day. I, even though I have increased my activity at training wise and everything outside, but my daily has gone down to about 6,000, which is a bit. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And especially now we're filming this. I know people might be listening to this back in the summer, um, but it's February now and it's, it's cold and dark in the evening. So I can't blame people not wanting to go when it's raining. So if you're mm. your upper end of the limit when it comes to um, training, um, when it comes to daily movement, then I'll address the calorie situation, as it were. But that's in the realms of fat loss and dieting, right? Now, mm. I think the, where people will get stuck the most is with training, because I've coached, like you have, hundreds of people over the decades and decades, but especially you, maybe not me, maybe just one decade. Hey, old joke, get it in there. Get <laughs> um, what, what's your experience training with people, Mike, uh, that have hit like, strength training plateaus or whatever it may be well you know when i used to work in a circus for the big old circus dumbbells and you know the guy with the tash you know that, that was a lot simpler those days you know those were the days <laughs> those were days um you know what i did a post in this a while back on on insta and the first thing i wrote was wouldn't it be so simple if we just kept pushing harder and harder and got better each time and easier each time and that would just be this beautiful thing wouldn't it about right running or lifting weights or just like playing a sport each time I got on that pitch playing football I'd end up being a better footballer but it's just not as simple as that and sometimes I think the problem is if we try and push 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 too much we kind of run a risk of that overtraining feeling that you know that constant soreness feeling fatigued you know emotionally low like feeling ill regularly and you feel like you're going to pick up an injury you know that, those aches or strains you know have you ever kind of done that yourself yeah, loads of times, especially when it comes to training for competitions as well. Um, I think there's more of a, a pressure, I would say, when, when you're building up to a weightlifting competition or a, um, a fitness style competition that you do want to push, push, push. And it's in that mentality of do more, do more, do more, train twice a day, take less rest days in order to improve. But actually, at the ripe old age of nearly 34, I've realized that you can't do that. <laughs> and you know what actually sometimes some of the best approaches or ways we look at things are like proper old school ones and um, have you ever heard of the gas principle no back in 1956 a gentleman back in uh, the day mr sir come up with like a, it's called a general adaptation syndrome they use it as like a, a cornerstone of strength training so on let's say a vertical axis you'll have something like performance and then on the horizontal axis you'll have time so to, over time and performance you have different changes and so on like you know fluctuations so generally they say the first phase is normally what's called the alarm phase and that's basically like a new stress or stimulus such as you increase the weight you run for longer you start a new exercise or try something different 
So you generally expect initial muscle soreness and you might find a decrease in performance as a result. So, you know, time length varies. So, you know, that when, like, if you haven't done legs for like a month and then you just do something like three sets of body weight squats, the next morning you're oh, feeling sore yeah. again. You know, you know that feeling, you know, and generally that lasts for about five days. Yeah. And even so, yeah. with clients as well, week one, when they start their program, they're always like yeah. okay, mad sore. By the eight, week four, they're like, I don't feel anything anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you have that initial sort of alarm phase where you, the first week, or it's the second week, you're, you know, you find a bit of decrease in performance, but that's that's normal. Um, then you you have what's called a resistance phase. So that's basically when changes start occurring. So whether it be neurological, muscle tissues, mechanical changes, how you move. So that allows you to adapt to this new stimulus. So week two of doing your body weight squats, you're going to see an improved recovery and performance. So mm -hmm. that's just generally the way. Then you have what's called like the exhaustion phase, and that's basically like signs include like a plateau in performance, stuff like similar symptoms to the alarm phase or like increased risk of overtraining injury just basically like week three four when you start to push 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 you know you think right i'm going to put more weight on put more weight on that mm -hmm. sort of stuff and generally that's kind of a crossroads most people have especially this is got to strength training but it can also be applied to running as well like when you did your marathon training so you can either continue to apply the same amount of stress which would lead to overtraining or overreaching or you can manipulate the volume or the intensity to allow recovery we call it like a taper or a deload so basically a deload is when you just have a week's um, sort of like recovery training you reduce the normally the volume as well and a taper is when you're preparing for a competition like yeah. maybe you might be three weeks out from like a crossfit comp or a, or a, or a fight or something like that uh yeah. i said oh, like a professional fight not like a, <laughs> going to a kebab <laughs> shop. car park right yeah <laughs> Straight, straight now. In three weeks' time, I'm going down to kebab shop. <laughs> also, on the subjects as well, Mike, can you clear this up as well? Because oh. there'll be a lot of people out there that maybe have a strong correlation to training soreness being progression. Because a lot of people are like, if I'm not sore, it isn't working. Mate, I used to be the same. You know, I think, right, I've got to feel it in doms in my chest after doing a bench session. When it comes to sort of strength training and any strength coach will will kind of like use this. They'll have like what's called an accumulation phase of training or an intensification phase of training. So accumulation is when you're increasing the volume. So you, that's more, more to do with hypertrophy-based training, like muscle building. So generally you're going to, it's more to do with breaking down muscle fibers. So generally- I'm so glad you said hypertrophy. I thought it was- Hypertrophy. No, was hypertrophy. Optimus Prime. So basically you're accumulating more volume over the week. So you, you're gonna end up with more soreness, but you, on the flip side, you've got intensification, which is more to do with neurological adaptations, like strength training. So you may end up doing like three sets of three on say a deadlift, but you may not get your DOMS, but you may end up, but you're feeling stronger. Your, your nervous systems have been, been able to adapt to it and you're able to lift a lot more weight, but you're not getting the same soreness as you would do maybe three sets of 12 at a lower weight. So you've got accumulation phases and intensifications. Generally with accumulation phases, you, you will probably end up experiencing more soreness, muscle soreness that is. And generally when you're doing more of a lower volume, higher intensity strength training, you're not going to feel it as much, for example. I mean, even like when we do max efforts on say a clean and jerk or a back squat, you probably won't get any DOMS from it, but you'll probably just feel that exhaustion you might get that two or three weeks afterwards. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can relate to that at all. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, oh, it actually takes you back. I remember once, back in the day, 
I've, I've, I don't claim to be a strong man, but I entered a strong man competition. Yeah. And one of the events was you had to do deadlift at 180 kilos and you Ooh, just do a minute max reps. Mate. No. And, yeah. And, oh. and um, I was going against a guy called Chris Deer. It was like a head to head. You remember Chris Deer? Yeah. Oh, he's strong. Strong as an ox, that geezer. He's super strong. And me and him were like the guys who weighed around 90 kilos. All the other competitors were like 120 kilos. So I was head to head with him and I thought, I've got to beat him on a deadlift. And I remember hammering at this deadlift and you weren't allowed to sort of touch and go reps. You weren't allowed straps. You just had a belt and chalk. And I remember, I think, beaten by maybe one rep. I think I had wow. like 15 reps. And no word of a lie, Mike. Like, I think for about a month after, I just felt so fatigued. Like, yeah. I, I can't describe it. I'd almost like I couldn't sleep um, or kept waking up and just felt constantly mopey all day. This gas principle, I speak about manipulating training volume to allow recovery to limit exposure to high volume muscles damaging training phases but most like, traditional programs will focus on one training characteristic at a time like you might do a month of endurance training then a month of strength endurance yeah. just a note on this one that not all programming approaches are based around this principle if you're training for something like um, hypertrophy which let's say for example for this podcast is 10 to 15 reps of every exercise let's just say that and if you're almost at an upper limit say with an exercise like a bench press mm. uh, where you're you know you're maxing out on the reps you can't seem to add any weight onto the bench press do you think every now and then it's, it's worth dropping into almost what we would call a strength phase you know like anywhere between three and eight reps let's per se or five and eight reps and doing that for maybe three months and then going back to to a hypertrophy program with the ambition of possibly being able to overload and lift more for the 10 to 15 reps would that work in theory these things do work and changing the stimulus also you're then increasing your ability to lift more weight by increasing your strength yeah and generally just for a mental change as well i mean you don't have to do monthly you could do it you know, there's always an approach called an undulating program, which basically for a lot of sportsmen use, where they might have a week of high volume training and a week of low volume training or daily. One day they might do strength training. Next day they might do endurance training. So you might find sports that require all types of attributes like strength, power, endurance, like, like for example, a boxer or a mixed martial art fighter. Mm. They might end up doing one day high volume stuff and next day doing like sub maximal lifts a taper compared to a, a recovery period is normally like a two to four four week period before an athlete competes whereas a deload is preparation for a new training phase so that recovery week is preparing you for the next phase of your training what do you think as well when it comes to when people try and break through plateaus mm. and they constantly try and lift that a little bit heavier let's say a deadlift and in my personal experience, maybe seeing people do this in the gym at my previous gym, um, obviously put more weight on the bar being the most obvious way to overload and get stronger, that mechanical breakdowns happen and people don't move as well mm. under heavier loads. And deadlift's a really good example because people will almost lift beyond their means because the weight is going up in one way or another. 
in their head, they'd be going, okay, I've hit this one rep max or whatever. But obviously mm. there's been a bunch of mechanical breakdowns during a deadlift and it, it almost hasn't even become a deadlift. It's become lifting a weight off the floor. Any means yeah. necessary. Have yeah. you found that with clients as well? I'd point everyone towards your Instagram post this week. And I really enjoyed that one about you talking through your history of deadlift movement. And you said that in the end, you had to reduce the weight, break your technique down to allow you then to go back up and yeah. end up improving on it as well. And I think as well, when you hit that almost the upper limit of where you start to see uh, mechanical breakdowns in your body, like a deadlift, like your hips are shooting up early, you're no longer to retract your shoulders back. Then in, in my personal experience, I've always found it good to go back to the drawing board a little bit. Think about why I'm failing that lift. Is it a weakness through my hamstrings? Am I not able to engage my lats enough with the movement? Mm. And then almost be very specific when it comes to accessory work. So if my lats aren't engaging, I'm going to program lat pull down a few times. So my lats are better at being Ooh, engaged. Um, I'm going to, I like a lat pull down as well. Yeah. With straps on as well. So you haven't got, you can, haven't got to worry about the grip too much. Just go. Awesome. <laughs> Um, and even down to like another good one is like hamstrings as well, but like trying to isolate the hamstrings, isolate the glutes a little bit. So in order that when I went back to deadlift and retrained up the weight, I actually, I managed to lift more. So if you struggle with a conventional deadlift, why not try your hand at a trap bar deadlift or a sumo deadlift? Because there are different forms of it, but it may suit you better. Some clients, I like to get them on the, the hex bar because sometimes they're not set up in a safe manner to be able to lift from a conventional point. If their hamstrings haven't got the right range of movement, they're not going to be able to get down to that proper position to be able to deadlift. So I'd get them in a, a trap bar, which is still a hinge position, actually. Compared to a sumo, they've done some tests and actually the hex bar is actually more of a hinge movement than actual sumo. Sumo is very similar to actual a squat. I love to get clients on a hex bar, it's less sort of spinal engagement. You know, once they've gone through the whole anatomical phase of training in regards to sort of hinging properly and squatting properly, um, and most of them love it really. With the hex bar as well, especially if a, sh a client has very sort of quite poor shoulder movement as well. Like yeah, definitely. Able to yeah. Press them shoulders and engage them lats. It's a fantastic bit of kit, the hex bar yeah. to get people lifting on first time. Also, for people who struggle with back squats, I'd chuck them on that as well because it's still engaging your quads heavily and it's less sort of spinal compression too so it's a really good movement from there i'm taking a bit of a u-turn matt back to oh. the weight loss plateaus because one thing yeah. i wanted to get your opinion on when you found that people have hit their plateaus sort of time periods and i was doing a bit of a uh, digging around online and found uh, something in the american journal of nutrition and it was see the title was effect of dietary adherence on the body weight plateau so they've generally found from that that a, an intermittent lack of adherence was a major contributor to frequently observed early weight loss plateaus that's early weight loss rather than long terms yeah. um just wondered what your thoughts were on that really yeah, I've got to say, like, I think that is probably the number one reason why people almost hit that early plateau is adherence to um, the plan. A lot of it can be down to a little bit of motivation. When when someone starts something, they're, they're usually very, very highly motivated because they've paid for something. 
Um, you know, it, this is different with every individual, so I'm not going to categorize it as everybody. But I think you do get a lot of people that are very motivated at the start. Get a few weeks in, they might see an initial drop when it comes to maybe losing a little bit of water weight originally at first because the diet's cleaned up a little bit um, and they start losing a little bit of body fat. Um, and then, you know, we've got a fact other things that come into life, other social and lifestyle events. Um, and then it becomes a little bit harder to adhere to the plan. So I think first and foremost, that is probably why, well, it is actually why people start to almost think they've hit an early plateau. Mm. On the flip side, if you have someone who has stuck to the plan, as it were, small changes have to be made along the way because the metabolism is it's going to adapt under all sorts of different factors. Um, if someone's losing a lot of weight, the metabolism essentially is going to be slowing down a little bit. And it, that's just, that's the fact of it is that the lighter you are, you know, your metabolism isn't going to be as fast as when you are, when you're bigger. Um, so mm. adaptations have to be made when it comes to calorie intake, adjusting, you have to adjust, you know, like things like protein, maybe down the line, adjust things like fats, carbs, daily movement, um, volume yeah. and exercise, everything needs to be almost just carefully just monitored and tweaked. Usually, on a, I would say month and month basis. Other studies talk about an endocrine response. So basically, endocrine is a posh word for regulating of bodily functions through hormone release. So like your meta- metabolism, sorry, your heart rate, blood pressure, appetite, sexual function, and uh, sleep and walking. And um, they spoke specifically about high pole calorific diets and how <laughs> these how these specifically sort of affect our endocrine system. Um, in particular, increased hunger, reducing metabolic rate, threatening lean maintenance of, of mass, sorry, how they affect hormones like leptin, you know, made in our fat cells responsible to regulate hunger. And also ghrelin, more made in the stomach, our hunger hormones, you know, promotes appetite. These unfavorable changes in hormone levels are generally as a result of really low calorie quick weight loss responses so when it comes to sort of adherence later on it's harder yeah i think the 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 key thing here is we have to remember the body likes to be a state of homeostasis where your body's just having enough energy i if you want to label that as calories going in as well as it's expending your body just wants to be cool it doesn't want to diet it doesn't want an excess amount of calories and extra weight to carry on the body. So as you said, when your calories go hypo, as low as that, your body's going to secrete hormones such as leptin, ghrelin, um, and push you eventually towards what most people have when they've gone on a lower calorie diet, a binge. Um, and then adherence to a whole fat loss plan goes out the window. I think as well, like when, when, it, when it comes to finding something that sticks, you kind of want less changes possible into your day starting off with because you can make this this sort of like progression over time adding in more training join a gym and stuff like that but regarding on nutrition the simplest way i've always broached it with a lot of clients in their first few weeks working with me um, i would take a look at what they're eating every single day and correlate it over at least sort of two weeks and then maybe just without changing too much in the diet because further down the line we can focus on improving the quality of diet we can improve things like protein intake and all these lovely things we go on about but essentially we want to make an energy deficit somewhere so 
when it comes to someone's diet, looking at something within their diet, it might be a single food, it might be a swap that doesn't phase them too much. If mm. someone's having a Costa coffee, um, cream, latte, whatever it is, you're nodding your head, not a bit of me. But if we were to say, do you can live without that? And they go, yeah, it's fine. We'll swap it for a black coffee. You've just removed, you know, three, 400 calories from that person's diet without changing their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. Then if we can promote things like daily movement, which I think is like probably one of the most overlooked tools when it comes to fat loss, especially if someone's not doing it at the moment, if someone's doing 2,000 steps a day and they do start doing 5,000, it's like magic. Um, yeah. And then essentially finding a form of exercise they enjoy. I mean, I'm always going to favor people doing resistance training. doesn't mean strength training, doesn't mean deadlifts. I would say just resistance training. Mm. Uh, the basics squat hinge single leg movement upper push upper pull real yeah. basic stuff making changes that are not going to put you under more stress add more pressure to already what's already a pressure situation yeah right now the last question from me today is that one thing i find quite common is is that people don't see a change on the scales so yeah. I know we did a podcast on this a while back about sort of like losing weight and what happens when we do that. I mean, sort of ways that you encourage your clients not to stress too much because I think it's a big, still a big part of our culture that once the scales say a certain thing, that is it. Yeah. Okay. So I've actually got quite a, a, a funny way to go around this. And so some, some, some PTs might disagree with this. But firstly, I want to explain all of it before anyone judges me on it. But with a lot of people actually, because there is such a stigma um, about weighing yourself, like at the end of the week, when in weighing day, it's quite interesting. I actually get clients to weigh every single day. Now, I'll, I'll give you a good reason for this as well, because we really try and take the, the stigma away from seeing that linear progression day to day and really help someone understand that weight does fluctuate on a number of different factors, as we know, and almost not to get obsessed with that daily number. And, you know, in their checking sheet, they have like a weekly average. They have an average over the, the month. So they're not almost scoring themselves on day to day. They're looking at the overall and it's taking that stigma away from it. Now, beyond weight as well, they also have measures before that. Obviously, they've got the, the usual, the measurements and the progress pictures. But then also what I've included um, in my online coaching is more biomarkers. So stress, rate one to five. Um, quality of sleep rate one to five hours of sleep um, tiredness and so if we don't necessarily get a a weight victory or lose centimeters or inches we're going okay Sharon well do you know what you've moved up from an eight kilo kettlebell to a 12 kilo kettlebell yeah and you're getting an extra three hours sleep a night and you're not as tired so there there are plenty of progressions other than weight that we can look at that you are essentially improving your health sticking to the plan you're really enjoying it and you can see progressions in all areas may not be weight in the first week or two but you can see progression in other areas and i think that's where we have to focus on when working with clients is looking at the bigger picture definitely mate i think having performance process goals keeping that positivity there you know, you're getting more sleep. You're not masking the fact that you didn't lose weight, but you're saying it's not all about that. It's all about the bigger picture. You know, stick with it, but that's not the be and end all. I think, I think in a society, we're very, sort of very focused on destination goals. 
if you put a progress picture, I mean, you put progress pictures up, I put progress pictures up. Between them two pictures, you like you don't know the story in between. There's a lot that goes on between two progress pictures. That was um, Shazza, um, month one, and this month, month three, well done. But see that Sharon went through some ups and downs, had a bad week, missed the whole week of training, mm-hmm. had... Um, you know, a hypochloric um, energy intake for a week, all these things. And I think as well, if you can help people celebrate the small victories week to week with building essentially healthy habits, then and it's going to become more enjoyable for the client. I think that's a really good way to conclude today. Tell us what we've got coming up as well. Oh, we've actually got a really exciting podcast. I missed the last podcast, must be back in May with the doctor. Your doctor friend, what's, the, what's his name again? Uh, Dr. Rahul. Now, Dr. Rahul, I didn't want to say in case it wasn't. Well, you came on, the, on my stag do as well, so you should know him by now, Matt. Oh, no. oh, mind you, actually, I think by the end of the night, I don't think anyone knew who anyone was, did they? No, I don't remember <laughs> anything. Um, but we've got Dr. Rahul on and talking about training post-COVID. Very topical. Especially something so specific and so medical-based. To have someone yeah. with his uh, qualifications. You know, he's not only a GP, but he's also working with um, elite level athletes at Leeds Football Club. So, yeah, so it'd be great to have him back right now related to, to give you advice going forward on, on what to do post-COVID. Because I know that both me and you have struggled a little bit to kind of get our get ourselves going again. Yeah. Since having um, COVID. Yeah, no, it'd be really exciting, Mike, as well. So if anyone's listening to this and they have any questions for the doc please drop Mm. us a message and uh, we'll forward the questions on the podcast. So guys, thank you very much for listening to yet again, another episode. Thank you for your social share. So social share and support. (laughs) Too many S's. Okay. I'm going to leave there. I'm going to stop talking. Mike, you sign us off. Guys, you know me. Two more S's. Stay safe and well. Set you up there, son. Set you up. All right. Have a good one, everyone.